Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions, visit us on the web, www.theporchchurch.tv. Well, good morning. Uh, as uh, Pastor Greg said, uh, we just got back from Uganda on Friday. Uh, it was about a 10-day trip in total. And uh, part of our series, Life, that we've been talking about uh, consists of living on compassionate mission. And so as we were planning the series, we thought, hey, what better way to talk about the subject of having this be a component of your life uh, than for us to just do some upfront kind of decompressing, sharing a little bit uh, of our experience and hopefully inviting you into that. So we're going to share some stories, we're going to talk about our experience, and hopefully uh, we're going to land somewhere to where we all know uh, kind of what that next step for us and that winning at the game of life involves pouring ourselves out in some capacity, whether that's for people around the world uh, or just for people around the corner. So uh, that's just our kind of agenda today, uh, mostly because we're too tired to preach or do anything else. So um, hopefully we can have a coherent conversation. If you see one of us start to nod off, just have compassion on us, and, uh, and we'll go from there. So uh, yeah, Greg and I are just going to have a short conversation, invite you to listen in on that, and uh, hopefully it'll spark some questions in you. Maybe you can ask us uh, later on, and uh, yeah, we'll just see what comes of it. Sound okay? Your enthusiasm is overwhelming this morning. I'm blown away. A couple are excited. So, uh, Greg, this was your, like, first time out of the country, period, right? Like, never had this opportunity, never done this, and you chose for that first experience to travel. Yeah, that's what we did right there. Is that, like, in the airport? That's That's, in the Denver tram. That's right. Yeah, Yeah. like 6 a.m. leaving there. As you guys randomly laugh at pictures, we'll just become very self-conscious up here and go, what's going on? Yeah, Yeah. so tell us a little bit about that, you know, first-time trip across the country. What did you see? What did you experience? Yeah, I've been on a number of mission trips, and uh, I've been to Mexico with students and South Dakota and different places within the states, but uh, but never out of the continent. And so uh, I've never had the privilege of traveling by plane overseas for nine hours apiece, four flights. So, so you have four flights from here to Detroit, and then Detroit to Amsterdam, and then Amsterdam to Kigali, and then Kigali to uh, Entebbe. And, uh, and so... You can imagine being up at you know 3 a.m. to catch a flight, and then being so anxious and, and a little bit nervous uh, about the the long trip, but also uh, the the anticipation of what God might do on the trip. It was hard to sleep and, and catch up. So um, you know we were we were going off of hardly any sleep, and and so being tired and uncomfortable, uh, I think would be the the first way to describe it. Super <laughs> great start to the trip. Yeah, you know, it's just like, hey, you should go to Africa. It's going to take you 30 <laughs> hours, and you're going to be tired and hate life. Yeah, much accurate. Uh, and so you get there, and then there's more travel. So we spent the night in. Uh, in Entebbe because we got there uh, really late, so we had a chance to take a shower, and uh, and then we had another travel day of like seven hours in the car. Um, so getting around was Africa, a, was there AC in that car? Uh, yeah, four four. It would be four eighty AC or eight 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 forty AC. So we we say it in in South Carolina, four forty AC would be four windows down, forty miles per hour. Yeah, this would be eight windows down, thirty to forty. So this is a little warm. You get it. Yeah, not a little not warm, relaxing. and you're you're crammed into a a 14 passenger taxi with all of our luggage and and then all of our friends that went with us, 
And, uh, and the way that they get around, most of the people get around by taxi, uh, which is a you know, minivan, and some of them have cars. Uh, but then they have these things called boda bodas, which are basically dirt bikes. And, uh, and so you're traveling through uh, a very densely populated city uh, in, um, what was the name of the city? Kampala. And so you have, yeah, here's the Boda Bodas. Um, there, there's no traffic lights and traffic signals. There's, there's no one directing traffic. And so I'm just amazed that, you know, people didn't die. And, and I think that's probably actually one of the most uh, leading causes of death or accidents in, in Uganda is, is those things. Um, and then while we were on the trip, they said, hey, you're going to get on one of these and you're going to ride it into town. <laughs> and Will and I both, I mean, we saw four people on one of them at one point. Yeah. And, and so we were just like, and it's, just, it's like if you this? can picture a school of fish, like it's just that with motorcycles. Like they're just all over the place. Yeah, it really is hard, hard to describe the experience, you know, and I think um, that was just kind of like culture shock in general, you know, it's like, okay. And they're r- driving on the wrong side of the road, you know, so you got to get used to that. Um, but then you, you're driving through and you have this metropolitan kind of Kampala area with high rises and stuff. And then we are getting about, you know, four hours from there uh, to Naimiyembe. And while you're traveling, you see, uh, you know, what you can imagine third world country, the conditions being like. And so you have uh, rundown buildings and most of the, the homes are made of clay and mud and sticks and then thatch roofs and and if you have a little bit more money you can have a metal roof and uh, I tend to look at roofs a lot because I'm in that industry and so I was constantly looking at the roofs and I'm saying that's probably leaking and that one's probably needs some work Um, but you notice that and then you notice you know just people and the way that they live and and they're on the side of the streets and and uh, tons of kids who are just running around and and you don't see any parents you know in eye or earshot, you know, that it's not how you would see it in here. You have a lot of helicopter parents who are like, I want to know where my kid is at all time. But there, it's just like, they're running around everywhere, you know, and they, you know, they see Next us. Next to the highway, on the highway, like they're just. Yeah, and you get pointed in, and like, Magunzu, that's what they would call us, Magunzu. And, and then talking about the language, that's a, that's a whole different animal. Um, the, one of the main languages actually in Uganda is English, but most of them speak four to seven languages, like Luganda and then some of the other ones I can't pronounce. Uh, Swahili is one that, that some of them speak, and French. And, and so you never know what kind of dialect you're going to run into. And, and so I would do my best to learn some of the language. I would say, what's the sotia? And that means, good morning, how are you? And they would respond, bulunji, uh, which means I'm good. And I always ask that question, like, okay, how do you respond if you're not Balunji, but they would never say that they're not fine. They would always say they're good because God is good all the time and all the time God is good. And this is how they would live and, and, uh, and say things. Um, but it was interesting to hear kind of the way that they spoke English and their understanding. And many of them were just brilliant, you know. I mean, can you imagine knowing seven languages uh, fluently? We ate good while we were there too, right? Uh, yeah, I really thought that we weren't going to eat good, but we, <laughs> we ate way good. I think we both had this thought of like, 10 days away, we're going to come back looking slim, we're going to lose some weight, <laughs> and, uh, and then they're just constantly feeding us, and they've kind of adopted, they, one of the things they said to us is, is like, they know you like snacks, so we would get a snack in the afternoon, it would be some kind of, I mean, look like a chimichanga, you know, but it had goat like uh, peas in it or something. It chickpeas, was, yeah. Chickpeas, yeah. Chickpeas. So some really fascinating food, but mostly we would eat rice and beans and, and then uh, matoke, which is like a, like a banana, like a mashed banana. Think of like, like mashed potatoes, but it's, but it's banana, and it doesn't really taste like a banana. It's kind of a strange uh, food, but we were adventurous. I think we tried everything. 
the first day they asked me to kill a rooster. And, uh, and I said, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And then the night goes on and the rooster's crowing at three o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, I'm going to kill that thing right now. Let me find it. Uh, I didn't get a chance to kill the rooster, but we, someone did. And, uh, and we ate it. We didn't try any bugs. There was, there was no like hissing cockroaches. We didn't try any of that. Um, but it was, it was all good food. And then the culture, uh, I mean, it's different there, you know, like there, you, you don't see, you know, TVs everywhere. You don't see everyone like glued to their cell phone. I mean, everything is really built around relationship. Uh, we had a bit of Wi-Fi while we were there, but the thing that I thought about with the, with the Wi-Fi is like, they couldn't just get on somewhere and like recharge it or reload it. They didn't have it all the time. They had to reload the Wi-Fi. So they had to actually call someone and say, Hey, we're reloading our SIM card. We need more hours of Wi-Fi. And so everything there is built on relationship. And even from like the Boda Boda drivers, they would be driving down the street and then you would see like a little stand, um, along the dirt road that has like these, uh, water bottles filled with what looks like juice, but it's actually petrol or gasoline. So if you're there, don't drink that stuff. It's bad for you. Uh, but yeah, they would be driving along and they would just come up to these stands and they would fill their uh, motorcycle and it's like they would have their consistent people that they would go to. So it's all built around relationship. I think one of the questions though that we get most often is, is what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> so maybe you could take us through that. Yeah, what what did sure. we do? So uh, part of what we did was partnering with an organization called As One, which if you've been to the porch any length of time, you know that we are majorly behind. And uh, Andrew Devaney, our uh, outreach director, is the founder and CEO uh, of that organization. So primarily, there, I would say there were two main objectives. One was becoming familiar with the work in uh, Namayamba, Africa, that we support both individually and as a church. Uh, and then the second major objective was that uh, Aswan was putting on a leadership conference for uh, this local community. And so Andrew invited Greg out there to lead worship and me to speak along with a couple other speakers. And so uh, those were the two main things that we did. We got to know Aswan, got to know the work that they were doing, got to know the local leadership there and kind of how life functioned and what the purposes that Aswan was seeking to fulfill was. Uh, and then for two and a half half days, we also uh, held a leadership conference for uh, that community. So those were the two primary things uh, that we did. So as one's mission is uh, transforming communities through sustainable development. And so they work primarily with education and agriculture uh, and also working on ending people who are uh, stuck in unhealthy lifestyles, specifically uh, prostitution and getting them into sustainable economics, sustainable opportunities. So it's actually quite impressive. Uh, I've known Andrew for something like 12 years and I have known about As One, but this was my first chance to go over there. And so they've really built uh, quite a beautiful compound right on the edge of Namayamba, Africa, in Uganda there. And so uh, when I say a really nice compound, you have to remember the level of poverty that Greg is just speaking about. And then kind of all the way at the end of the block, there's this beautiful brand new buildings, uh, great roofs, right? No leaking in the roofs that you saw. And, uh, and there's this great great sign that says, as one seeking for sustainable, uh, sustainable partnerships here in the area. So everybody in this community at least knows about this building. They, they know the name, but they're still getting to know whether or not this is just somebody from the West who's coming in with their ideas or whether they're there to help support. And so part of what we got to do was just experience that. So, um, so as far as the campus itself, I didn't count the buildings until now. There's probably about seven buildings. Uh, the very first building 
thing is a bakery uh, that they are working to open to serve the community. Uh, so people who are transitioning out into some sustainable economic areas will be employed by the bakery. They make contracts around the town, and they bake fresh bread every single day. So when Greg and I tell you that we ate well, we had like fresh muffins every morning, banana nut muffins. We had, what was it, carrot? <laughs> carrot muffins. Oh, Talk about carb loading. Oh yeah, it was carbalicious. Carb it was, it was yeah, amazing. Yeah. Uh, so every day they would have some type, every meal, quite literally, they'd have some type of very, very fresh uh, baked bread. And it's like four, it's like four ingredient things, and they were just, uh, just amazing. So that's the first building is the bakery, a hot wood fire stove that they've got, and they're looking to open that to be able to serve the community next to that is called the Amaka House. This is for women who are transitioning uh, out of lives that are harmful to them and into more sustainable living. Uh, so these girls are either employed by the bakery or they go to school or college. Uh, and uh, so they stay in this house and they try to keep that house together. Kind of across the little walkway from them is staff housing. Uh, so there's probably six to ten just Ugandan staff who live on the campus full time. And so they all kind of live and share a kitchen, and they mostly live in that building. Then there's the guest house, which is where we stayed, which is connected to some more staff housing behind it. And then there's a large pavilion behind there that's probably, I mean, maybe half the size of this room, uh, and that's where the leadership conference was. They're also developing uh, an administration building, so they're going to put offices in there. Uh, and so all in all, just a really incredible campus, especially for this part of the world and for what they're doing. So after we kind of got familiar with all of those things we put on this leadership conference. So again, we're four hours away from the nearest metropolitan area in the middle of nowhere, and here come, you know, nine to ten uh, Mzungus, white people, who are here to teach leadership. And this was the first time they've ever done it, and so a big question was, is anybody even going to bother to show up? We invited political leaders, we invited uh, people from differing faiths. Ugandans probably are about 80 to 85 percent Christian, just as the culture is concerned. Uh, but whether or not they live that out or instill it to the deepest levels of their character, uh, we can kind of flip a coin on that. The other percentages would be tribal religions and, of course, uh, Muslims. So we had some people of the Islamic faith join us as we talked about kingdom leadership through the lens of Jesus, uh, in addition to a ton of just local area pastors. So we had people walking from one, two, three hours away to participate in this two-and-a-half-day leadership conference. And what started out as going, is anybody going to show up? Is this going to be worth it? Uh, probably winded up being at least 100 to 150 people there every day. And probably by the time you count people who were there the first day, not the second day kind of thing, probably about 200 people served in total through this leadership conversation. So again, think about that in the context of this remote village and the type of opportunity that these leaders had to come and hear from the Word of God, to hear a little bit more about how God might be directing their steps and to challenge them uh, to live that out. So all in all, that was just an absolutely incredible experience, uh, and uh, the overwhelming takeaway from that is that this was the first time, but it won't be the last time. So as one was inviting the community in, they got to experience this beautiful campus, and now they know a little bit more about what As One exists to do there in the community, and we got to be a part of that. That's part of why Andrew was um, very, very uh, insistent uh, that Greg and I be there, number one, to share some teaching. Uh, but number two, Greg also got to lead uh, in worship. And as he mentioned, uh, there are some 
subtle nuances, I would say, between African worship and, uh, and our worship here this morning. Why don't you yeah. take us through that from your perspective? So I got to say, you know, when they asked me to lead worship uh, for Ugandans, I was like, uh, no, <laughs> not sure I could do this. Um, and, and originally, I didn't even want to go on the trip, but, but a- Andrew was very persistent. And, uh, and then I felt like, you know, God was just giving me that nudge to go. And, and, and then there was just kind of some breakdown in communication. I thought at first it was going to be me leading, uh, you know, American worship songs uh, to Ugandans who may or may not know them. And, and so I thought, well, I'm going to teach a lot of songs. And I was kind of prepared to be kind of the one-man uh, deal. But I show up, and they had hired a band uh, from Luganda. And, and, uh, and so they had... Uh, very talented musicians, but again, there was that breakdown of like, okay, do they know these songs? And, and I certainly don't know their songs, but um, there was just something kind of supernatural that happened. They, they actually used the Nashville number system, which when you say a number, it corresponds to a chord, and it's not something that I've been familiar with, uh, you know, for most of my career. I can read a chord, G chord, or C chord, or whatever, and, and, and they, would, they would say to each other, you know, one, you know, four, six, three, and I'm like, what are they? This is a whole different language that they're talking, uh, but but I, I got the hang of it, and it actually came rather quickly, supernaturally. And so we would go to a song, and I would just kind of shout the number back to them, and and uh, they were very talented. But um, I got to preface this with saying, like before we started the leadership conference, we had a chance to see the the scholars program, oh, yeah. and our first like real experience of their style of worship. Uh, was on a Saturday morning with a bunch of uh, their primary and secondary school students, and uh, and I, I got to say, uh, you know, I was not ready for the for the level of excitement that they have uh, in worship, and I and I'm a, like a charismatic guy, so I can get excited, um, but this was a whole uh, another level. And, and rather than just kind of tell you about it, I want to show you a couple of things, the videos that I got. So we're going to look at a, uh, about three three and a half minutes of videos. Would you watch? This is at their church, and they uh, they have the women doing a performance there. You got the drums going on the side, no sound system, and uh, and I think they get louder than many of us can even here. <laughs>
So this is one of the rehearsals. This is one of their songs that they uh, love to do here. So that gave you a little bit of a picture. They're, I mean, they're so good and such high energy. And, uh, and then here I am, you know, coming to sing some American songs, and, and it seems like the energy drops, you know. Uh, but there, I mean, constant dancing and, and, and just amazing expressions of worship uh, yeah, there, and, to God. And you didn't get to see it there, but there is no stage. Right, Like, yeah. there's no, there's nothing, like... People just come from everywhere, and they all dance in the front, and they do trains around the entire worship center, like yeah. full body engagement in worship. Yeah, yeah, it's it's all you're all in, you're all yeah. in, right? But what I found fascinating is they they did know some of the American worship songs, they enjoyed those, and uh, and I actually became like a little bit of a celebrity there, I guess you would say. <laughs> I mean, they're like, "You're so amazing, we love you," and, and uh, you know this kind of thing. Um, and working together with them was was pretty incredible, and just having that opportunity to to lead uh, people in worship and, and get them fired up, and them to, to fire me up. Uh, I mean, I thought it was just phenomenal, just that context. But uh, really seeing the exuberance that they have just just made me reflect on my own worship and my own time uh, with God, and and how a lot of times you know we just spend trying to make it right, you know, trying to get it perfect, and 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 rather than focusing on the heart behind. Our worship and our expressions of praise, and and uh, and you think of them in their context and and the way that they live, and and we are so blessed. We have so much, so much stuff, and God, God just poured out tremendous blessings on us. And there's visible, uh, you know, things that we can see, but for them, it was like they don't care if it's a dirt floor, you know, like they don't care if their shoes are getting dirty. They dress extremely nice, you know, going to church, and uh, and even their greetings, you know, like when they greet. Uh, one another. Uh, they will say, Makama Yabazibwe, which means praise God. And, uh, and you would say, Amen. Makama Yabazibwe. Amen. And so that was kind of how they would, they would greet each other. And, um, and it's just fascinating to me, you know, that, uh, that that's on the forefront of their minds. 
the way that they, uh, you know, interact with the, with each other. So we sh- we said we'd share a couple stories, and I just from my you know my reflection on the trip, uh, we'll mention that we did some home visits, and and I thought you know going into a mission trip, I've always been on these trips where you go and you're like, okay, I've got to you know indoctrinate them with Christianity, I've got to change their lives, I got to do something for them. That uh, the reason I'm spending all this money and time and effort to to go over there is to to do something for them. But what I didn't expect was that all that they did for me in my life and uh, and what I got to see. And, and so it was like a, you know, a hand in hand of like, I want to, I want to do something and give something to them, but, but also receiving. And, and so you kind of feel like you're, you're going into this trip with your, your hands wide open, you know, God, whatever I have to give, it's, it's yours, whatever you want to place in there. Uh, I, I thank you for it. And, and so we had a chance to go on these home visits and really experience uh, what it was like for the people to live there. And, and so they broke us up into groups and visited some some families that have uh, students in the scholars program. And so we'd go and visit their family. Well, I got partnered up with this uh, with this group and we went and visited this uh, this Muslim family. Um, and uh, the Tendo Education Center, they're, they're a Christian school and they're, so they're teaching Christian values and Jesus. And, and But like Will said, a lot of the families are, are from uh, the Muslim culture. And so our goal there was just to really interact with them, get to know them a little bit. And, and, and so there were uh, eight people in the family. The dad was away uh, fishing, and there, so the mom and there were seven children. And, uh, and so the kids running around, you know, half naked. And, and, uh, and at one point, you know, mom's, you know, feeding the baby right in front of us, you know, with no shame or anything. You know, there's no culture to that. I was like, well, let me look this way for a minute. Um, but we're having this conversation, and, uh, and so we get to the point, you know, of like, hey, how can we pray for you? And, and, uh, and I just found it fascinating for them. It's like they, they weren't asking, you know, the Lord to, uh, to bring financial blessing to them. Um, while that did come up in some of the conversations, the one thing that they asked for was wisdom. It's like, you know, we pray that the Lord would give us wisdom and knowledge to know English, to do well in school. And, and then there was this one young girl who had said that her throat was hurting, and, and as she was sick, she had missed school, and I just felt this strong impression to, to be able to pray for her and then give them a word um, from the Bible, from the book of James. And so before we jumped into prayer, I said, hey, I've got to share something and just kind of being bold and taking a risk and doing uh, what I felt God had asked me to do. And, and, and so share with them from James 1.5 how it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And, uh, and so I said, you know, you've, that was Solomon's request, you know, that he would get wisdom, and, and the Lord blessed him tremendously, the wisest man that ever lived. And then I said, you know, the, the one thing that I'm, that I'm struck about here is that you're, you're ill, and God doesn't want that for you. You're, you're feeling sick. And so the girl was probably seven or eight years old, and I said, well, come here to the middle. Let's pray for you. And so we prayed for her. We commanded healing to come and, and, and then ask her, how do you feel? And, and she said, Balunji. And I said, okay, wait a second. You, you're saying the pain's gone. It doesn't hurt anymore. Yeah, it's, it's, it's gone. And, uh, and so we just were able to demonstrate to them the love of God in a tangible form uh, and for, you know, the Muslims to, to see that we have a God who can instantly and dramatically uh, heal you and work in your life, I think was a testimony. And, and they loved our visit so much. Um, invited us into their home. We got to see the way they, they live in this small little tut, in hut, and seven of them sleep in there, and some of them just sleeping outside under the stars. Um, but they ended up giving us a chicken, and they're like, have a chicken, you know? And, uh, and oh, there it is, yeah. So they give us a chicken. It's like one of the highest honors, you know, that they could do, if, like giving out of their, you know, poverty to, to give to us as a way of blessing and, and thanking us. Uh, I just thought that was one of the stories 
um, for me that, that really stuck out. And there were many, many more um, that we'd be happy to share with you. But, but yeah, I, I just want to jump into that personal story real quick. So on one of the home visits that I went to uh, that was so impactful, so um, having multiple wives is culturally acceptable there. Uh, so we went to one of the neighbors of As One, and our goal was just to connect with them, say, hey, we're your neighbors. Like Greg said, how can we pray for you? What can we do? Uh, so we end up walking about a block down the highway and then about a block back into the bush. Uh, and back there we find uh, it's four kind of houses that are together. Two wives live there between the two wives. Wives, uh, they have 14 children. Uh, so one had nine children, uh, the other had five, if my math serves me correctly. But then because there were orphans and things that were around there, they had actually taken on an additional three children to care for uh, within this scenario. So 17 children between two wives, and the man didn't work. He would, uh, as you can imagine, having 17 kids running around, he would just kind of disappear. Um, and uh, <laughs> is that too close to home? A little too close to home. But he wouldn't work, and so the moms are sitting there, and in this culture, they have no way to provide, and so they're going, we don't know what to do. We have these, <laughs> these children that we care for, but our husband, the man who's supposed to take care of and provide for us, is gone. And of course, being white people stepping in, they were looking for some type of tangible aid to help them to go, we don't even have anything to make ends meet. But what I was struck by there is how as one is still trying to figure out what this looks like. So as we walked away and processed, we went, man, we have fresh baked goods, three meals a day? What if when we did house visits, we brought some of those goods with us? Would that be a way that we could bless this community? What about when we have extra food, especially on some of these immersion trips, could we share with them? So uh, really trying to create some opportunity there for these people to hear uh, about Jesus. So uh, those are some fun stories. Uh, we literally have a million more. My mind's just going crazy as you're talking, like, oh, we did that, and we got this going on. Uh, so um, Greg likes coffee, so take him out to coffee, and he'll tell you all about it. And, uh, and we'll maybe share some more stories and uh, songs as we go here. But I want to kind of land this plane back on us as a community, right? So Greg and I are processing this. We want to invite you into that processing with us. So what do we do from Denver, Centennial, Colorado? What does our life look like in order to kind of partner with, to be close to uh, the brokenhearted, the suffering, even on the other side of the world? What's our action step? What pieces of our life kind of need to be included and knit together uh, in order to make this something more than just a trip, right? I think Greg and I would both tell you that if we went and had this experience and just came back and life was normal, that would be a colossal waste. If we weren't changed and challenged and transformed by it. And really, that's probably the primary piece of experiences like this is holding up a mirror to ourselves, to our culture, to the way that our life works and how we tend to perhaps doubt God's goodness in our, I won't speak for you, I'll speak for me. Uh, I tend to doubt God's goodness in my life. And yet, as I'm walking through dirt huts and families with 14 children, and how they seem to say, no, God provides for us, we know that he'll provide a way for us. And that's humbling. Uh, um, so what do we do here? A, a couple different things that, that I think we have the opportunity to do. First of all, if you have the opportunity to go and experience a trip like this, I would highly encourage that you do it. Um, maybe you've never been on one. Maybe you've never had the opportunity to do a trip quite like this. Um, I would highly encourage you. Talk to Andrew. We'll be doing more trips like this through As One. Uh, but you've got to go and experience it because it will be so challenging and humbling uh, and, and put you in a situation where God can really speak speak to you in a completely new and different way. 
Uh, also, you can give. We give to support as one. You could give directly to them. Uh, anytime you give to the church, you should know that our first goal is to give 10% of our budgeted amount away. Uh, and so this past year, we budgeted about $14,000 to give to support as one. This next budget year, we'll be talking about uh, in two weeks here on the 23rd, we're budgeting to give over $20,000 away uh, to support as one ministries in this work in Uganda. So part of the way that you can support uh, would not be only to go there, but also to give, to financially support, and uh, to encourage people uh, as they live that way. Last but not least, probably the biggest thing that we can all do is to figure out what it looks like for us to embrace just this posture of compassionate mission, of caring for the world around us. By compassionate mission, I mean this, spreading the gospel of Christ through words and actions, caring for people that are distant from God. So whether you find that across the world in Uganda, Africa, or whether you find it across the street in your neighborhood, in what ways are you incorporating this idea of spreading the good news of what Jesus has given you, both into your own life, the life of your family, and the lives of those people uh, around you? If there's any piece that I would say will radically change your faith, the way that God wants to use you, and the way that the world looks because you're here, it's to embrace this idea of living out our lives on purpose and to invite other people into the good news uh, that we've shared. So uh, that's just a little snapshot on our trip. Uh, we're going to finish up this series next week for Father's Day, uh, and uh, then after that uh, is our annual meeting. So um, I don't know that we have anything else you want to share before yeah, we... Yeah, I was, I was going to just say, you know, on this, on this vein of, you know, going, um, you know, really it is, it, it's part of the, the Great Commission, you know, Jesus said, go... And, uh, and that, uh, that phrase could be translated as you are going. Um, and so I think about this, you know, and the way it's changed me is, is actually looking and being open to opportunities that God would bring our way, um, whether it's around the world or around the corner, as, as Will mentioned. And, um, and when, we're, when we're open and we're receptive to what God wants to do in other people, uh, it will lead to just dramatic change for us. Uh, one of the things that when we were in the car talking about this phrase kind of stuck out to me, uh, discomfort leads to dynamic change. And, and for me, you know, having these uncomfortable living conditions, uh, you know, a hard bed, cold showers, um, and it wasn't even that hot, you know? So it's like, it's not like a refreshing cold shower. It was like a, <laughs> oh my gosh, this is freezing. Let me get out of here as fast as I can. Um, but being uncomfortable in those conditions, but, and then stepping out in faith outside of our comfort zone will lead to dynamic change uh, in yourself and in others. And so as, as you're looking to be on compassionate mi mission, maybe you wake up every morning and you say, God, what do you have for me today? Who do you have for me to bless uh, today? And be on the lookout, be open and receptive because the Holy Spirit's going to give you those, those nudges, those cues, and, uh, and people that you might be able to interact with. Um, and you don't have to go to Uganda to make a difference in your world. You don't have to go to Africa for God to change you and, and your heart. Uh, you just have to be on mission, and his mission, right? So for me, you know, it was, it was a, a dynamic trip. You know, I felt like I was uh, kind of growing stagnant in my faith, and I, and I felt like you know, I came alive. I became the, the best and uh, truest possible version of myself while I was there and being impacted uh, by those people and also being able to, to give something, you know, that God has, has blessed me with. So that's my challenge, you know, like, go, do, do something, you know. Like, and, and for those of you that are like, yeah, I just want to write a check, that's, that's fine and good, but, um, 
it, it doesn't change you that much when you write a check. It changes your bank account. Um, when, you, when you go and, and you're on mission, that's when I believe God can have the biggest impact in your own personal life. Yeah, and um, when you say that, what it makes me think of is one of the highest ideals I think that we strive for is comfort. We want to have enough resources to live our life. We can give when we have enough. We want to be able to retire, and when I'm able to retire, then that's comfortable living. Um, but when we experience those areas of discomfort, that's when God's present. That's when we rely on Him. That's when we need Him. Um, and so no matter what in your life, if comfort is your highest goal, you may not be striking out to live on compassionate mission. If your highest goal is maintaining the status quo and keeping things level and not giving until it hurts and not finding yourself in discomfortable areas, if your highest level of living is just to be comfortable and easy flowing, you might be missing out on the compassionate mission that God is inviting you to live with him and for him uh, and through him into the world around you. So, Thanks so much for allowing us the time to go. Uh, your giving and your serving enable Greg and I to go and do this. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We'll sing one more song, and uh, I'll just pray for us uh, as we move there. So, Heavenly Father, God, thanks so much for uh, us being able to share and give testimony from our brothers and sisters across the world and from an organization that we support and love dearly. And God, as we uh, learn from this experience, God, I hope and pray that you would challenge each and every one of us where we're at. God, to find where you're calling us to live out our life on compassionate mission for you, for the gospel. Again, we can go to Uganda and do that and experience it, but it's also in our neighborhoods. It's around the corner. It's at our schools. It's on our sports teams. It's at our jobs. And God, would you help us to find and live those ways out, that part of what makes our life full and meaningful and significant is that we live on purpose and on mission for you, sharing what you've called us to share in the good news of your gospel. God, would you seal this in all of our hearts? Would you allow something from the stories that we shared to just kind of stick with us this week? And would you challenge us to find those areas of discomfort that may actually be there to grow our faith and to grow our trust in you? God, we're thankful so much for your presence in our lives. God, we're grateful that we can share and worship with people around the world and to praise your name. And God, we ask and pray that you would be glorified by all that we do this morning. May your name be lifted high. All God's kids agreed together and said, Amen. Amen.